Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. If we want to have a glorious church, hey man, it's going to take some sacrifice. There's going to be things that have to be put into place in our life. Paul says, run the race and fight the fight. And he says, I press toward the mark. And these are not words of apathy or mediocrity, but the words of someone who seems to understand the purpose of just hanging in there. When the Lord gave me this message, this is actually for a few weeks ago, and then we had a, a service where there was no preaching, and um, then the last two weeks, it's just not felt right. This morning, I uh, revisited it, and the Lord gave me the go-ahead, and uh, I, uh, with the way that the service is headed today I I can understand why he's given me what he's given me today I've come to tell you we are not a defeated church we're only as defeated as we allow ourselves to be man God has devised for this world to always have an amazing group of people that he calls the church right now we're the church one day we're going to be the bride amen we're going to be the bride of christ one of these days amen what a day that will be amen when all of our pain and our suffering and our problems and our issues and all the different things that we have to deal with down on this earth are they're all behind us next week we'll have a, a funeral for brother david barton senior here a memorial service for him next sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. and I was speaking to his sister uh, sister Sally here before church and I said you know as much as we like to hang on to people this life the Bible tells us is like a vapor we put so much emphasis on something that lasts so short of amount of time and so much emphasis on things that we never will be able to take with us we'll never be able to keep beyond our last breath but I'm glad that I feel like this morning I'm amongst a group of people here today that see beyond this life into the next life and that life is going to last for all eternity if you feel today like life is throwing you a curveball don't you give up because this life is going to be over in the blink of an eye amen and we're going to meet Jesus face to face it's not all just about the here and now but it's about where we're headed not just where we are joy is going to come in the morning praise the lord i don't want to keep you standing too long so let me very quickly i'm going to take my text out of ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 paul's writing to the church in ephesus in chapter 5 amen i think we all want to be a part of a great church i I feel like this church here has a lot of the attributes the characteristics you know uh, of a great church uh and and being a great church doesn't mean that you're running 500 5,000 or 50 or even five being a great church is being a a church that that has all the the qualities uh, a According to the word of God and is walking in the spirit and ministering it has nothing to do with the size of your congregation but everything to do with the spirit of the congregation with that being said I, I want this church to, 
to grow and grow and grow and grow. We're not going to make that as an excuse to stay where we're at. We want to continue to grow. Amen. Paul's writing to the church in, in Ephesus chapter 5, a very compelling letter, and he's directing them and encouraging them about what God expects from them. And so just to summarize it very quickly before I get down to my scripture text, uh, it, it talks uh, about in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to be like someone, you know, if you want to emulate someone, if you want to mimic or, or imitate someone, don't look around to, to somebody on this earth, but, but if you want to be like someone, be like God. That's what Paul is saying. Turn from wickedness. Love one another. Come out of darkness and be children of the light. Wake up and be wise. And when you wake up and you become wise, guess what? You will be illuminated to you. His will will be illuminated to you. We'll never know his perfect will if we're asleep spiritually. The only way that the church can know the will of God, the only way that you can know the will of God for your life as an individual, if you are spiritually in tune with him, if you're awakened out of a spiritual slumber. And so Paul writes to the church, he says, wake up, be wise and know the will of God. Tells them to be filled with the spirit and submit themselves one to another. All these things have purpose. Paul is not a control freak. Got any control freaks in the house? We, we, we got to have everything put just right. In, we got to be in charge of everything. Don't raise your hands. And don't point at your neighbor. <laughs> Paul is not a control freak just because he is he is giving some directives and God is not a control freak as much as the world would like to make him out to be well you can't do this and you can't do that there's a lot of things you know what once I realize what the end of them th those things are I don't want to do them who picks up a cigarette uh, within their mind laying trying to gasp for their last breath in a hospital room someplace nobody picks up a cigarette who picks up and takes the first drink of, of alcohol within their mind thinking well, this, this is going to destroy my family or this is going to put me in some rehab over and over nobody if they saw the end result would ever take part in one of those things and so there's a lot of things that maybe we could do if we wanted to do them but once you see what God has to say about them you don't want to do those things anymore because you see the end result but everything that Paul is writing that God is telling him to write about here in Ephesians is pointing us to a singular day that demands preparation the day that the church becomes the bride of Christ You know, it worries me when I see people that are like, uh, they want to they be married and are like, well, do you have a date? Do you have, uh, do you know what, what you want to do? No, we, we'll just figure, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just throw it together. That, if they're going to, they're going to prepare that haphazardly, I can only expect that maybe the marriage hasn't been thought through completely too. You know, the bridegroom is going to be prepared, the Bible says. I saw something the other day where her husband, uh, it wasn't the husband at the time, they were, they were engaged. He said, she, the, the bride was talking about all the different things. He said, how long have you been planning this? She said, since I've been three. <laughs> There's something in the mind, the heart of a bride that wants to be ready for that day. That realizes how special it is. 
the Lord is not looking for just any old bride. When, when, when he comes back, it's not going to be a Vegas drive through wedding. <laughs> it's not going to be a shotgun wedding. But Ephesians 5.27 says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. Somebody say glorious church. Glorious church. <laughs> I want to be a part of a glorious Glory church. <laughs> A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I know what's going through somebody's mind right now. Impossible, but it's not. Or maybe it's improbable, but it's not. If it was impossible, God wouldn't say that's what he's looking for. And so the... The fact of the matter this morning is not whether there will be a church, but will we be a part of that church? Time to prepare. I want to just preach to you for the next little while a glorious church. You may be seated today. God bless you. Thank you to all the musicians and the singers today. And thank you for being here today, being a part of this service. It's great to see Sister Flora Mae Brawley sitting back there in the back with us again this morning. Good to have you back, Sister Flora May. Amen. The church of Ephesus, Ephesus actually means desirable. It was one of the seven churches that Revelation spoke about, and I don't want to get too far off track here, but I just kind of want to explain some things here to you uh, without taking up too much time. The church of Ex Ephesus was, was actually a pretty good church. Uh, and, uh, if you read in Revelations, uh, the second chapter, there's a couple of verses where John, who is the writer, but he's not the author. He's just writing what he's been told to write. And if you don't believe me, just look it up. It's in red. The Lord is speaking to the church in Ephesus in this letter. And he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how that canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. John is writing to, to the church here about their positive qualities that are taking place inside of the church. They've not strayed from the doctrine. They're still preaching truth. They've not strayed from standards that the Lord has uh, implored for them uh, to take on in, inside of the church. They're not putting up with false teachers or false preachers. They're, they're not putting up with evil. They're, they're uh, shunning evil. They're, they're, they're still the church. In body, they're still the church. But we get to the fourth verse of this chapter and we see this uh, one single word that starts out the fourth verse called nevertheless. And anytime there's a nevertheless, I, I tend to get a little worried, especially after it's followed some positive things. You ever had somebody come up to you and like, you know, I really, I really think a lot of you and uh, I really appreciate all the hard work that you've done and every, every effort that you've made around here. And then they say, but, well, uh, but is just a short way of saying nevertheless. And you know that you're just about ready to, it's about ready to come unglued on you. You know, uh, everything that you've done, you've really turned everything around, but we're going to have to let you go or, but we don't need you anymore. Uh, but your time here has ended. And, and so we have a, 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 a nevertheless moment here in the Bible and John writes nevertheless I have somewhat against thee 
He says, I see the good things that you're doing. I see the, the standards you have in place. I see the passion in, in which that you still uh, hold and adhere to the doctrines. You're, you've not strayed from the truth and you have patience. And, and even I've watched as you've endured some hardships and you've not let it make you stray from, from what you know is right. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And then he goes on to explain what that is. He said, because thou hast left thy first love. In other words, what the Lord was trying to say to Ephesus, you've got the motions right. You've got the work in order. You've got the procedure in place. You've not let hold, uh, lost hold of, uh, of the doctrinal issues. You've not lost hold of the standards. You don't put up with the things that, I, that I've laid some lines down. Nevertheless, you've forgotten why you do these things. You've lost your first love. You've lost the passion for why that you're doing this. And I can't help but sometimes think of my own personal walk with God at times and, and, and the demands that are laid out and, and the pressures that are there to, to perform, so to speak, and to come up with another message that moves a crowd or to come up with, with uh, you know, to reach out and still be the right kind of pastor that can make everybody's uh, everything. And, and, and uh, I find myself falling short so oftentimes because there's only a certain amount out of time in the day and I'm not an infinite person I do need sleep every once in a while and I do need rest every once in a while but still there's a part of me that wants to reach out and take care of all these things and, and I find myself in a place where I feel so inadequate sometimes and if I'm not careful if I'm not careful what will happen is I'll begin to lose out on the reason why I got started in this in the first place. It wasn't to be a pastor. It wasn't to build a building. It wasn't to have a, a large congregation. It was simply because I love people and I didn't want to see anybody lost. I didn't want to see anybody go to hell and every once in a while God has to step on my toe a little bit and tell me don't you forget why you're here. You might have a good church. You might I'd have an okay church but I've called you to be a glorious church and for you to be a glorious church you've got to remember why you were called there in the first place yeah. several years ago I was approached by somebody not from this church from a different congregation and they looked at our small little group of people here now you know by and large, we still have what is considered a small church. It, it feels larger because it's pretty full in here most of the time. And, and, and we've had a relative amount of success for what we have. And, and, uh, but at the time, it was maybe about half this size. And it didn't feel quite so full in here. It didn't feel quite so successful. And, and you know what? We're just hardworking blue-collar people. All of us, I still punch a time clock. I still go to work and, and try to make a living. And, and uh, the church helps out with that. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, just, we're just rolling with the punches. We're we're hardworking people, and this, this, I started talking about my dreams a little bit. You know, there's people out there that like to squash your dreams, because I would never, I've never seen this church as just an okay church. I've never seen Landmark as just a church that's just there to survive and get by and just exist and, and just have uh, every once in a while a little bit of something that we can testify about or, or have a victory march about, but I have always, in, the, in my mind, when God 
called me to this church have always had in my mind a glorious church, a church that was on fire for God, a church that was in constant revival, a church where the lost could come in and find God, something more than just a pat on the back and, and a moving along kind of thing, some, something more than a $20 bill to get them out of a little bit of struggle they're going through, but a church that was full of God's spirit, and that is not a good church I'm describing. That's a glorious church. And this person began to talk to me, and I began to dream a little bit. And I said, yeah, one of these days I'd like to do this. I'd like to see this happen. And, and we're growing. And, and they didn't realize that we had come here with just a handful of people and that we were probably uh, more than double the size that we had when we first started off. And so, I, forgive me, but I was excited. And you were too if you were here. This church, it was moving. People were getting the Holy Ghost baptized. All these things were taking place in our midst. And, and, and this person looked at me and said, yeah, well, you'll probably never be able to afford anything more than what you already have right now. Boy, if I wasn't in church. <laughs> I thought to myself, you know what? You can repent over this later. That's what repentance is all about. I had a buddy I worked with one time. His dad had come out of a very rough background, and this guy at work was giving him a lot of trouble, but he'd gotten saved. And, and this guy said, ah, you can't hit me. You can't do nothing. You're in church. He said, I can just, I can, I can backslide long enough to plow you in and then go repent. He said, don't push me, brother. And that's the way I was feeling on that day. And, 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 but, but there's something, uh, anybody else like me here, a little stubborn streak, there's something about a challenge being laid out that just makes me want to dig in and prove them wrong. Anybody else like that? Am I the only one? Tell me I can't do something. More than that, tell me that my God that I serve can't do something because it's not about flesh and blood. Amen. We are fighting a spiritual warfare. Amen. For the church to be the church that God has called us to be, it's going to be in the midst of a spiritual battle for it to be a glorious church. Somebody drew a line in the sand. Amen. Uh, ever since then, I, I've had this drive, to uh, this never-ending desire to see this church move ahead in every aspect. I wanted to see, uh, I wanted to see numerical growth. I wanted to see financial growth. I wanted to see expansion of properties and facilities. I wanted to see it expand with new souls. And I just have in my hand here, just to bring it along this morning, just for a little extra often. And if this person that said this is is listening to this podcast by any chance, you may not be able to see it, but I hold in my hand, amen, a warranty deed for a piece of property, amen, where God is going to allow us to build a brand new place that is bigger than the one that we're in now because God has called this church to be better than a good church. He called this church to be an awesome, glorious church. Who wants to be part of a glorious church tonight? Who wants to be part of a revival church today? Praise God. I've seen God do it for others. He can do it for us too. But I have to remind myself that while I'm pushing, not to prove somebody wrong, but so the loss can be found, has to be my motive. 
Still, it does feel good to kind of wave this in their face a little bit. <laughs> okay. My carnal moment, it's over. I'm back to being spiritual now. Amen. Back to glorious church. Amen. Not the brawling church. Not the in-your-face church, unless it's to the devil. But the glorious church. We understand antonyms, don't we? Most of us that are here do. We understand antonyms is, is are opposites. They're almost like verbal enemies, so to speak. Amen. You, you have giant and you have dwarf. That's why we get a kick out of things like um, jumbo shrimp. You know, just they're uh, yeah, oxymoron. They, what's some other ones? Somebody help me out. Huh? Dodge, Dodge Ram. <laughs> back to being carnal for just a moment, okay? Okay, back to glorious church. <laughs> oh my, here we go. We got antonyms. We got stuff like marvelous and terrible. We got things like noisy and quiet, right? Antonyms, the opposites. Amen. And so, where we look as, as great or glorious and we look at its antonym as being maybe like the, the opposite or the antonym for great would be maybe bad, you know. But bad, uh, it was said by one time, uh, good, uh, bad is not the enemy of great. James Collins said good is the enemy of great. And he goes on to say, and that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools we don't have great government principally because we are satisfied with good government few people attain great lives in large because it is so easy just to settle for a good life and and we're we even preach about it you know we, we talk about you know Godliness with the contentment is great gain. We, we like to take that scripture and, and put it into place when, when we don't want to work for anything any better than what we have sometimes, you know. But God has called, uh, and that, that may be fine in, in your material life. That may be fine in, in our homes and what we drive and in our clothing and, and a lot of different things in our job, you know, if we don't want to press on, maybe we're satisfied in a lot of different areas. As long as we're taking care of our family, it's all good, you know. We're, you meet that quota right there. But when it comes to your spiritual life, good is not good enough. If we want to have a glorious church, hey man, it's going to take some sacrifice. There's going to be things that have to be put into place in our life. Paul says, run the race and fight the fight. And he says, I press toward the mark. And these are not words of apathy or mediocrity, but the words of someone who seems to understand the purpose of just hanging in there. Is every church going to be a glorious church service? No, it's not. I wish it was. I wish we just walked out of here floating on three inches of air. You know, the Spirit just lifted us up on every church service. But sometimes we just have we just have good church. And, and that's okay. Here's where the problem comes in. When we become satisfied with good church. When we become satisfied with just going through the motions like the Ephesian church says, hey, we're living right. We're not really sinning. We're not really doing anything wrong. And all the time God says, hey, that's not what I've called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. I've not called you just to be a good church, an okay church, a mediocre church. I'm looking for that day to receive a church that is a glorious church without spot and 
and without wrinkle or any such thing. I'm looking for somebody that has been in preparation for that day. I've kind of been on this kick for a little while. Hang in there with me. God just won't, he won't leave me alone because I think that there's some folks here that are fighting that, that good enough syndrome. You're looking around and you see others that maybe used to be here and they're no longer here anymore. Let me tell you what the problem was is they had a spirit of this good enough. But good enough doesn't cut it when you get into trouble. Just living for God an okay life, a mediocre life, just putting him somewhere in the middle. Amen. That's not going to cut it. When you come on hardships or, and when problems come your way and when friends turn their back on you and when you feel like you're all alone and you feel in that place of where you're hiding and you're just, you're just trying, you better have a relationship with God that is built on just a so-so attitude. we got to fall in love with him. He's got to be our God so that we can be his people. I want to serve him. I don't care what I have to go through. I want to live for him no matter what I might have to deal with. But at the end of the day, when he calls us home. I want to be a part of a glorious church. Be wise and you'll know his will. Be wise and you'll have your lamps filled with oil. Oh, we have oil. We've got oil too. But somewhere along the, the way, you see, the groom didn't come as soon as they thought he would. People get impatient. Oh, that first sermon of that preacher with that anointing is so powerful. They couldn't wait to hit an altar. They couldn't wait to repent. They couldn't wait to be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were on fire, but somewhere along the, the way, it just kind of tends to get weaker and weaker because they're satisfied with good. 29 years ago, I was working a dead-end job in a retail shoe store. Had a baby on the way. Honestly, didn't know what we were going to do financially when that baby came along because my wife had already told you. I had already told me. She might have told you too. Whether or not she told you, I know she told me. She said, when I have this baby, she said, I'm done. She was working a dead-end job, too. We were both working, and, and they closed both of our stores. I don't know if it was us or just the companies weren't that great. I mean, both of our stores shut down. And, uh, you know, some of you know her pretty good. I know her real well, and I know her well enough to know that when she says something like that, she means it. And so I had to start figuring things out, and I was getting nervous, you know. I didn't make that much money, and... I'd, I'd put my application in for a couple of years at at, uh, at this place, and I got a phone call one night. My in-laws happened to be at, at our uh, residence at, that night, and uh, when we got the phone call, my father-in-law still talks about it. He talks about what a great night that was because I think he was worried about us too, and he was thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going to have them living back underneath my roof if we don't get them a decent job, and we weren't planning on doing that. I I'd have found a cardboard box for her somewhere, nicest one I could have found behind the store at Walmart. You know, I wouldn't give her a cheap cardboard box. We'd go all out. So <clears throat> we get this phone call, and they want me in to work the next day. So let me get, just give you a little bit of history here, and I know I've, I've mentioned this before, but just bear with me just a little bit. 29 years later, 
I mean, this this next week will go will be my thirtieth Christmas season with FedEx. Thirty years. It's no wonder I have back issues. Thirty years. But here's the part that you may not know about how FedEx with 425,000 employees and a revenue of $65 billion in 2018 came into being. To know something about the company, you need to know where, where it was founded, who founded it. His name was Fred Smith. And Fred, uh, if you know anything about his history a little bit, and some of you may to a point know it, I've worked for the company for 30 years. It's been indoctrinated into me from the very first uh, couple of weeks when they flew me out to Michigan for two weeks of training. They just pounded and pounded and pounded away, you know, the history of the company, which at that point was relatively young. So they, they started talking about Fred Smith. Fred Smith, at a very young age, contracted a very crippling bone disease. And uh, by the age of 10, he'd fought back that, that, that bone disease and fully recovered. Became an excellent football player. And also, by the age of 15, had already learned how to fly. He learned at a young age that he could either succumb to his disease and a lot of people do that because it seems like the easy way out it seems like the way that you can you can you know excuse yourself from a lot of hard work and so we have a choice and he learned that he had a choice at a very young age i can either sit here and let everybody else uh, hand everything to me or i can fight this thing and i can see if i can win and so he began to uh to fight this disease and, and he didn't use it as an excuse but he fought for excellence he chose to to excel. And in 1962, he found himself enrolling and being accepted into not just any college, but Yale. Okay? It's, it's a little place, a little ways uh, from here. It's a little bit different than going to Swick. Okay? Yale, 1962. We're in a certain class with the professor. He gets into an argument over a project uh, that he had where uh, he wrote down how he would develop a, a business model for what at the point was an unheard of idea called an overnight express delivery service. And the idea was not just born in his mind, but written out on paper. But guess what the professor did? Didn't flunk him, but he didn't give him a good, uh, a good grade as you might expect now. You see, don't forget there's always going to be naysayers to your dream. There's always going to be people that are going to say you'll never be glorious. You'll never be great. You might as well just settle with good. You might as well settle with a C. And that's what they gave him. A mediocre grade. But there's a lot of people that are satisfied with a C. But when Fred Smith was not one of those people. What others saw as a okay idea, what others saw as a mediocre idea, he saw as a world-changing idea. And just because it didn't get him a good a grade and people laughed at him and his professor didn't believe in him, he didn't allow that to destroy his dream of, of one day having something that was greater than any of them could ever imagine. But he got sidetracked a little bit in something called a war. He was an officer in, in the war, and he goes off and joins the Marines, of all things. And, and if you know anything about the Marines, got a couple of them that are here in this place. Uh, Marines are not known for being mediocre people. 
If you just plan on going to Marine boot camp and just sliding by, you're probably not going to last very long, are you, Brother Hogan? Brother Gary, you're not going to make it very long if you just go into, well, I'll see how things go here. No, you got to have a made-up mind. you got to go into it thinking, I don't care what they do to me. I'm going to prove that this can be done, and I will do it. He joins the Marines. 1966, does two tours in Vietnam. Narrowly survives a Viet Cong ambush after losing his helmet, his grenade, and one of his guns. But he still has his, his other gun. And so he brings down his attacker. And by his own words, he said, I was aiming for his head, but I actually shot him in the knee. <laughs> the war's over, and he returns to the idea that he developed at Yale, and he he founds a company called Federal Express in 1971 after raising an astonishing, for that time, $91 million in venture capital. And he should have gone into public speaking. If he could raise money like that, just forget the whole thing. But he had a dream. He had a dream. Operations finally started up for the first time in 1973, and this part of the story I, I don't condone. I, we don't believe in gambling. I, I, you know, the only uh, I, I had one lottery ticket in my entire life. I can't believe I'm saying this, and this is going to go out on the podcast. One lottery ticket in my entire life, and and, and I won forty dollars with it. I didn't buy it. <laughs> Somebody gave it to me. I promise you, I didn't buy it. Y'all are really quiet, making me nervous right now. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even cash it in around here where anybody might know who I was because I didn't want to be. We drove about 45 miles away from here on our way uh, out of town one day, and I, and I had this total stranger, this uh, young girl, and, and I felt guilty in front of her, and I had to tell her the story. I, I didn't buy this, you know, and she's probably thinking, yeah, right, buddy, you know, who really cares anyway? So we're, 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 this part I don't condone, but Fred Smith, in just a short amount of time, he racks up $26 million in losses. The company's not going to make it through the week. And so he grabbed what little capital that he has left that he's not spent on planes and, and vans and all the different employees. And he, he grabs what little capital he has and he hops on an airplane, flies out to Vegas, and he goes and he puts it all on one, uh, one round of, what is it, blackjack? Uh, let me see what it was. I want to say it was blackjack. It doesn't matter. He was gambling. He lays it all down, and he wins $27,000. Now, I, please do not go out here and say, Brother Rice inspired me to pick up gambling. I do not want anybody to leave here and go out and gamble today. <laughs> or tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Brother Jones, for the clarification. <laughs> he lays it all down, wins $27,000, wires it back, pays all of his employees, and makes it through another week, which is just so it happens, just enough for us to turn the corner and become the company that, mo that probably every single one of you in this place has heard of today by, uh, by the name of Federal Express, which is now called FedEx. Is there anybody here that has not heard of FedEx? That's what I thought. Don't make me come down there. Everybody's heard of the company. Amen. He's chairman of the corporation. He's, 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 he's made it to a place where people have told him it'll never happen. That doesn't make any, any kind of 
feasible sense. You'll never be able to make a go of that. I'm much smarter than you. You're the young student and I'm the professor and I'm telling you that this will never work but somewhere along the line he said I'm not here to just succumb to what somebody else has something negative to say about what I've thought of what I've dreamed about but he says I'm looking for something that will change the way that business is done throughout the entire world but here's the part I love about this guy he's the CEO but if you ever go to Memphis and you walk down there into the cafeteria of this where thousands of employees come to work every single day, you walk into the cafeteria, you won't find Fred Smith cutting into the front of the line even though he has every right to. You see, there's something about his military background that's still going on in his head. First my people eat and then I'll eat. And so he won't cut in line in front of his own people, even though he's the head cheese of the place, but he's got a servant's heart. He's still got a heart that says, hey, I didn't get here on my own. Every last one of these people are valuable employees. Every one of them are part of what makes this thing work. And let me tell you something, if we ever become a glorious church, it won't be because that I'm the greatest pastor to ever walk the face of the earth. If we ever get there, I believe it's going to be because all of us are striving for it together. Amen. We're all going to do this thing together. It's only going to be a glorious church if everybody has the mindset to work together. His marine training was incorporated into his business model. He wasn't satisfied to have a company that was just a good company. He wanted a great company. So he founded a philosophy that still is on our walls today called PSP. It stands for People, Service, Product. And that's his business model. People first. We've got to have service right after that. Because, see, he understands something, that if you put people first... Your people will work for you and they will provide the service that you need. And if your people provide the service, the profit will simply follow. Ephesus, what's your problem? What our music come today? I'm, I'm far from done, but I'm, I'm wrapping this up. What's your problem, Ephesus? They've gotten their business model a little out of haywire, a, a little out of, out of tune. They still had a lot of the right things in place. They just had them in the improper order. You know, it's, it's easy sometimes for us to get so bent on our identity as apostolic Pentecostals to guard to guard that, and, and we should. It belongs, it belongs as a part of our business model. Our, our life, our dress, our standard, our way of speech, uh, the places that we will go and the places that we won't go, the, the priorities that we have in our life and where we place church in those priorities, our, our, our duty to be in faithful to God and faithful to the house of God and faithful to the support, all those things, they, ha they have a place. And without, without them being in place, amen, everything suffers for it. And, and we cannot move forward, but they have to have their proper priority. 
Because we can gather together probably until Jesus comes back and we, we can have this house fairly full. We can do all the right things because you can go through the protocols and you can, you can go through the, the motions of church and, and we can be blessed every once in a while and enough to satisfy us and enough to get us through an, yet another day. But, and we can be satisfied with having good church. But in our heart, we'll know that something is just missing. Something's a little shallow. It'll never be, be, seem to be quite good enough. It'll never seem to be just, just exactly what we need. See, I fought some things for a little while here, and I was transparent with you a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and I tried to figure out how to tweak it myself and how to make things right on my own. And, and, and then all of a sudden... It, I came to church one day and the Lord just moved and he fixed it all in one moment's time. And it reminded me that sometimes I get my business model, my spiritual model, my church model out of priority, out of sync. If he started driving for profit, 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 and made profit number one, guess what? The people would feel taken advantage of, and the people would be walked on, and they'd be used as numbers, but because he treats the people right. Or if only all he ever worried about was we got to have service. We got to make sure that we do whatever it takes to make sure that service is number one. I don't care if you have to drive until you can't stay awake anymore. You got to make that delivery. You've got to make that stop. Then, then we're going to have other problems. But because of the, the model, the priorities, things take care of themselves. And when we get out, our priorities mixed up, we go from being a glorious church to simply being a good church. And good churches don't see very many people saved. Good churches don't have very many new births. Glorious churches see healings. Glorious churches see brand new spiritual birth. Glorious people see marriages put back together. Glorious pe churches that, that get the, the first thing. We cannot forget what our first love was. Would you stand with me today? Last September was 32 years that I've been married to Mrs. Rice. 32 years. So for our 32nd anniversary, we've gotten to the place where we don't have to go out. I mean, we try to do something bigger on our the big one, the 25th, the, you know, that kind of thing. But like the 32nd, we didn't go out and take a big vacation or anything. We just spent the day together. See, I fell in love with her a long time ago, and, and I, I can still remember what that felt like to, to have that, that giggly new love, you know, just... She could do no wrong, and you know, and I couldn't either. I mean, you know, I, if you can believe that or not, I mean, you know, she, she was pretty wild with me too, let's just be honest. Wild, wild, not worried, wild. But over the course of time, you know, you get to know each other and, you know, you're married and all stresses and pressures. And in 32 years, we've had one or two arguments here and there. And so on this anniversary, you know, we weren't in an argument or anything. We were out having a good day. But what I decided that we ought to do, I said, 
I want us to go back out to the place where we first kissed. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to keep this family oriented here today. We just went out to the the old Longacre Park. It's not even called Longacre Park anymore. A lot of things have changed, but but we just sat there under the same pavilion that is a different pavilion, but the same location. We just sat there, and and I just those old feelings came back. All the reasons why I fell in love with her. We laughed and we reminisced and we thought about that uh, that that day when we first came out there, and it, just that. It brought back that feeling of first love. It just reminded us what drew us together in the first place. And I guess what I'm trying to say here today, I, I've, I've kept you too long. I apologize. I kind of got carried away. I'm way off notes and everything else today. But I guess what I'm trying to say today is if you're struggling a little bit, don't forget why you're here. Don't forget why you're here. Don't forget who it is that loved you. Don't forget how it felt that first time you came down to an altar. You want to be a part of a glorious church? Go back to your first love. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.